Welcome to the Loose and Conversational Podcast, everyone. My name's David, and I'm the host, and Jen is my co-host, and every week we sit down and have a few drinks and talk to interesting people. This week, we welcome the good folks from the Neo-Narcissism Podcast. Jackie, Kim, and Brad are professionals, and they give us some great information that you need to know if you are dealing with a narcissist. Jackie and Kim form Element Q, and they work in the field of emotional intelligence. Brad is a great psychologist. I know that personally. Check out the links on loosenconversational.com for more information about these very knowledgeable guests. Narcissism is a popular subject on the pop psych scene these days, but Jen and I wanted to talk to experts about what this means in an absolute sense. We learn quite a bit in this episode, but check out their podcast if you are interested in learning more. This episode is the final one for our first season. Yay! It's hard to believe we got 30 episodes done. Summer is upon us, friends. It's time to go outside and get some sun. We will be back in late September starting with Season 2. We have a few changes in mind, but the biggest one will be no goddamn pandemic. Yay! We're going to do more in-person interviews, and we're going to push the loose in Loose and Conversational. This podcast is just better when everyone's drinking. And if you don't agree with that, you're listening to the wrong podcast. You will probably still get an episode or two from us over the summer. But hey, take a break, listener. Listen to some music for a change. Maybe take in an audiobook. I don't know, man. I'm not here to tell you how to live your life. Stay tuned to our Facebook page, our Instagram, and the Loose and Conversational blog. Have a great summer and stay loose, friends. Welcome to the Loose and Conversational podcast. Jackie, you introduced yourself. I said I'm Jackie. Hi. My name's Kim Fontaine, and Jackie and I have a business together called Element Q, and we instruct on emotional intelligence, education, Ah. and empowerment. And Brad. that's us. (laughs) Yeah. Sorry. This is like pulling teeth. (laughs) Okay. So we've got Jackie, Kim, and Brad. Brad. And you are the hosts of the Neo-Narcissism Podcast. That's, That's correct. All right, so, so you're our experts on narcissists. That's right. And as you know, you know, I work as a psychotherapist as well. Oh, David Registered knows. I know, yeah. So. A fine one, too. Well, I don't well, know. You're not fixed. I was then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was in much better shape when I met with him. What, what yeah. yeah, it was a long time ago. That was his white girl yeah. phase. He was all hopeful. Yeah. And like, I know yeah. I still am. I still am. Just, Are you hopeful? This isn't about me, Jen. <laughs> So right. we, we, a while ago, our, our number three all-time podcast features Dr. Jan Canty, and she taught us all about psychopaths. psychopaths. And sociopaths. And sociopaths, extent, yeah. yeah. And that was our psychopath episode. So we thought uh, it would be great to learn about narcissists. And here's why. Because we have noticed, and I'm sure lots of people have, that every time somebody wrongs you, <laughs> you call them a narcissist. It's a very trendy word. Yeah. Yeah. And not everybody can possibly be a narcissist. Or maybe they can. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Because so we talked. We each know probably Jen and I that somebody one yeah. person that we can truly say is a narcissist. Well, self-diagnosed, I guess, or like we diagnose them. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but you know, they seem to be narcissists. Yeah, but it's fun. To, so I guess we got a little hour and a half, and we and trust us, we will go off onto tangents. Yeah. But in a nutshell, what is a narcissist? Well, I I'm kind of curious before we jump into it. What mm-hmm. is your perception of it, right? So you're saying it's kind of like you call somebody that wrongs you a, a narcissist, and then you're saying, well, 
you know, we kind of armchair psychology a few people yeah. we know. So what what do you perceive a narcissist to be? I'm just For me, yeah, like, you know, I'm curious to see if I'm even right because I'm pretty sure I am, but who knows? Maybe I'm a narcissist, <laughs> yeah. No, so for me, it's somebody who like the world literally revolves around them. And so like they can't everything, it's their needs first. 100% of the time. And sometimes that lines up with a partner or a child's needs, but more often than not, if it doesn't, it doesn't bother them. It doesn't matter to them because their needs are the first primary thing that needs to be met. Yeah. And I'd agree. I, I only know one person that I would say is a narcissist. And I wouldn't say like, he's not a bad guy. I used to work for him. And I would say the things that characterize him are, yeah, he literally believes the world exists just for him mm -hmm. and any situation he's in or anything that happens or any question he's asked, he always puts himself in the middle of it and answers in a way that shows how it affects him. The other thing is he has this real orbit of people around him. He's got, he's almost has this like cult of personality. And for the longest time, I, I never understood it. I remember, you know, working with, you know, peers when we all worked under him and asking like, what's the deal? Like, I, I don't understand your misplaced loyalty towards him because he's not taking your best interests. He's taking his best interests mm -hmm. into account. And they would always say things like, oh, you just got to get to know him and things like that. So that would be my thing. I would agree with you. I'd say a narcissist is somebody who thinks the world revolves around well, and serves them. their needs first. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. doesn't recognize that other people have, have needs. needs. Yeah. Or have a say in things, I guess. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. So are we right? <laughs> well, wow. What do, you, what do you need us for? <laughs> well, this has been the loose and confident. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> We're experts now, David. We can go on other podcasts and talk about. Excellent, it. excellent. There, there you but go. well, then why? But then why is every time somebody selfish? Well, I'll, maybe this is a better question for a little bit later. But why does it seem? And a lot of times, this is in relationships or dealing with pe people who are in close relationships. I guess, like whether it's your boss or your partner or whatever, your podcast co podcast co-host you're talking about you obviously uh yeah. yeah is it is it so common to label them as a narcissist i think it's definitely a trendy word but you guys tell Maybe. us for sure i think the word gets thrown around a lot mm -hmm. and i think partly that can be because uh narcissism there's a scale to narcissism mm. so you can be fully diagnosed narcissistic personality disorder in order for that to be the case you have to meet five of the nine dsm criteria on a consistent basis over time so what are the nine criteria? Oh, we can get to that. I will, I have those, but just to finish that answer on the lower end of that spectrum, people can just display traits and tendencies of narcissism at times, sort of when it serves them. Gotcha. So, but that doesn't mean that they're a diagnosable narcissist. Right. Well, right. I'm excited to so, hear the nine and see how many boxes David checks. Yeah, I checked. I checked. <laughs> you checked a few psychopaths. I checked ones. a lot of the psychopath ones, but not all of them. But not enough. Yeah, but not enough. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Is every single thing in probably like like has a checklist? No, it has a checklist and yeah. is on a spectrum. I imagine. Like it seems like everything yeah. we talk about is on a spectrum, <laughs> so we're all a little bit. Well, you know, you're being quite accurate there. We're all a little bit something. Right. I remember when I uh, first studied abnormal psychology and they take you through the diagnostic manual. It's like you, you can find yourself, you can find all of your loved ones, you can find the qualities of all of it. Right. And all of these people. But that doesn't mean that they actually fit all of the specific criteria for something. Right. And right. the one thing to really pay attention to with narcissism is it's pervasive, right? It's this per pervasive pattern of behavior. 
So, and these specific traits and, and criteria. So in your, I guess, research history, are narcissists typically likable people? Because I mean, David and I had the conversation before we came on here that in his opinion, these narcissists sort of, you know, gra- like people gravitate towards them. Yeah. And in my experience, I mean, maybe it's just because I can sniff them out, but it's like, I f- can't stand oh, them. I can't sniff them out. <laughs> I can't stand the narcissist behavior. So typically, are they, do they draw people in? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. They can be really charming and really likable. That is partly how they can recruit other people to do some of the dirty work for them. What we would refer to as flying monkeys. So they're typically very likable. And so I guess, and I think like in, again, my experience, but people sort of crave that little bit of positive reinforcement from the narcissist, you know, where it's like, you know, eight times out of 10, they're terrible human beings, but that two times out of 10 feels like a win for them. (laughs) Yeah, that, that's that's a good way to say it because, of course, they start out really drawing people in, and right, they they're looking to people to be a source. So, in order for them, basically, a source or a supply of esteem. So they try to draw people in as much as possible to assess who's going to be the best source of esteem for them. So they tend to be very likable up front. Interesting. And so can a narcissist theoretically maintain a fulfilling relationship? Not typically. Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> no, let's, not, not let's break this apart. Yeah. Gotcha. Let's break this apart. Yeah. Because maintaining a relationship or maintaining a healthy relationship. Fair. So typically they have trouble maintaining a relationship at all. Healthy relationships, not really on not the even. table. Yeah. Do they um, think they're terrible or do they genuinely think that they're not the problem? Everyone else is the problem. They're not the problem. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> oh, you're just describing someone in my life so well. <laughs> <laughs> One thing I wanted to say um, that we can talk about later before we talk about the points is that another thing to note about narcissism and how it's sort of quote unquote trendy is that the way our society is grooming people is to be very narcissistic. And it's actually a war- rewarding narcissistic behavior right now. Oh. So for example, like that's why we've called this the neo-narcissism podcast, which Brad can kind of explain a flesh out the definition of it a bit more, but like social media, those kinds of things, it's all about uh, Mm. people creating this image of themselves. That's not really real. Curating those likes. Yes. It's curating those lights. It's creating a very narcissistic image. uh, And it's what we're, we're rewarding. We're not rewarding kind, empathetic behavior anymore. We're rewarding this narcissistic behavior in our society. Jackie actually has an amazing explanation for this as well, or at least theory. Uh, Jackie, do you know what I'm talking about here? With how it's progressed, uh, you know, from who we used to be a species to what we're kind of evolving into. Yeah, like if you go back way back in time, when we were, you know, relied on each other to survive, we needed people to hunt, we needed people to cook, we needed people to look after the families, we we relied on everybody to play their role in order for us all to survive. So nobody could make it about them or be narcissistic because the community would rely on them to survive so they would hold them accountable for their actions whereas now we've just become more and more and more separate from each other from this sense of community from relying on each other to survive so we're not holding people accountable for their actions we're letting people be narcissistic and say terrible things to one another and not holding them to account for doing that yeah and just to add to that we we now have media right before all we had was real life It's like 
there's nature, there's us surviving, go get the wood so we have fire, you know, go scrounge or hunt for food, right? There, there wasn't all of this other stuff that we get pulled into. I mean, think about watching a movie. You sit down for two hours and you're literally existing in a different reality, right? Your emotions are responding to that reality that's presented in front of your face. So in today's culture, I mean, it, it's so pervasive on the way that other realities are being presented to us. So being in touch with true reality, this is why we have, we need fact checkers. You know, back in the day, you didn't need fact checkers. It's like, is it cold outside or isn't it? You know, the fact checker goes outside. Yeah, no, it's cold or no, it's yeah. <laughs> on a day like today, it's hot. You know, you don't need the, the fact checker. Reality is reality, right? Or reality was reality. But now you have all of these alternative realities. And of course, social media is just totally pushing that forward, right? So even real people don't seem to be living real lifestyles. And so with like psychopathy, usually there's like a brain imbalance or like something sort of a chemical imbalance with narcissist. Is it nurture versus nature then or? Well, typically the way we talk about it in the field is we say it's both, right? Because it's very hard to determine whether it's just passed down genetically or whether it's just created through nurturing, unless that narcissist is removed from a narcissistic parent, right, when they're an infant, and there's no modeling, it's hard to really indicate that. So I mean, the the jury is still out. Typically, we do look at it as both uh, nature and nurture. All right, so let's go through the nine traits. So you need five of them in order to be considered a diagnosed narcissist. Yeah, just like before we get, oh. I just want to ask one question, which I think I know the answer to already. When you say treating narcissists, do you actually spend? You probably don't spend a lot of time treating narcissists. They don't seek help. Yeah, I imagine they're like psychopaths. <laughs> like nobody comes in and says, "I the damnedest thing." I think I might be a narcissist. <laughs> I think my needs are important than anybody's. Yeah, mm-hmm. I have been noticing that I consider my needs. <laughs> And I don't think anybody else has any. Is that normal? Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. So do you spend do you spend your time treating people who are like in the orbit of a narcissist or, or with one or two traits and not five? Yeah, like where does the treatment before we get into what makes a narcissist, yeah. just where does the treatment of narcissists? So well, yeah, it is really tricky. Usually a narcissist will come in for about one to three sessions. Right, because oh, as see, soon as you start, that checks me. As, <laughs> as, as, as soon as you start diving into things, they start to remove themselves from it. Because right, ultimately, it's it's shining a light in areas that they don't want that light shone. Right. So now the other thing is they usually. So why would they even end up in a counseling room in the first place? Typically, it is because of relational issues. It's because within the framework of narcissism, like we were talking about, it's very difficult to sustain or maintain a relationship, um, you know, if somebody has those qualities. So can you treat it, I guess? Like I have a friend who's got a partner who is classic, in my opinion, narcissist, and, you know, refuses therapy, right? Like it's not something that they're even willing to consider. So if for some reason they did, is there a treatment? Is there a quote unquote cure, I guess? Well, <laughs> yeah, the, 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 the research and the numbers do not show that there is a high probability of that, right? It, it kind of runs into what was it, Jerry Maguire, uh, you know, help me help you. Yeah. It's, it's, it's funny because people who are listening to this can't see it. But when you asked if there was a treatment, they all laughed and smiled knowingly. <laughs> I assumed, but, you know, like, yeah. I'm going to take this podcast to my friend and be like, yeah. here you go. Yeah. 
like a, a deep hole. That's a good treatment for them. Get the fuck out. You know? <laughs> yeah. Okay, so I guess this is a good time for the, what was it, nine? Nine. Things that makes you a Five narcissist. out of nine. So David's got the first one. We'll seek treatment, but only for one. No, that wasn't one of them. Just three sessions. Oh, okay. <laughs> that was an anecdotal so, one. How many sessions did you go to? Three. Oh, okay. <laughs> and then I hate to say it, I actually, I got busy at work and I no-showed one. Oh, did you charge him for that, Brad? No, I don't think he was a good guy. Uh, I don't think you, he did. Usually, usually I, I, I let one strike go and ah. that's, that's all good. Right, or maybe I'm just that efficient of a therapist, you know. Who, yeah, no, maybe no, nope, nope, yeah. no. Somebody in his yeah. life, nope. No, I, I, I got an email like, "Hey, you had an appointment," and hey. I was busy work, so I apologize. Anyway, the nine <laughs> things that yes, make you a narcissist traits, and Jen will okay. check them off. Well, I'm going to yeah. check them off, Jen, because I, because I you never thought I never thought you were a psychopath, but yeah, I don't know. <laughs> it could be. All right, okay. let's go. So five of the nine consistently over time. Okay. Okay. One, has a grandiose sense of self-importance. So they tend to exaggerate achievements and talents. They expect to be recognized as superior without the commensurate achievements. That's yeah. number one. I think I number- ask for commensurate achievements. You're, no, you're that. All right. Okay. Okay. So I got one. Number two, is preoccupied with fantasies of unlimited success, power, brilliance, beauty, and ideal love. Yeah, I don't have that. <laughs> you don't. Damn it. I was really hoping you would. <laughs> Number three, believes that he or she is special and unique and can only be understood by or should associate with other special or high status people or institutions. Yeah. Yeah. No, no I wouldn't say me. No. You think you're pretty special. Well, yeah, but I don't think I should associate with <laughs> other high status people. I know where she's getting out of that. That's not yeah. me. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Number four, requires excessive admiration. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Give it a self-check that one, yeah. Excessive is a key word on that one. Well, you, honestly, like every, there's what, there's five of us here? Is there a such thing as too much admiration? Yes. Really, there would get to be a point where you yes. would be like. Because it doesn't seem genuine at some point. What if it is? It's not. Maybe I'm just, <laughs> I'm not special like would, you, David. This one would be requiring somebody to like, you have to keep bringing up your achievement so that you continuously get like, oh, I'd praise have to bring and more praise and, you know, and, or why, yeah, why didn't you sort of acknowledge this part? And, you know, so they're just constantly looking oh, gotcha. for just that, yeah, no, you really are the best. No, the Loose and Conversational is totally the best podcast. There is not a better podcast out there. And, like it's on and on and on and on. We have yeah. you recorded as saying that. <laughs> <laughs> just use that one clip from now yeah. on. Yeah. That's right. There's your, there's your opener. <laughs> Testimonial, yeah. Okay, next. Number number five is has a sense of entitlement. So this is an unreasonable expectations of especially favorable treatment or automatic compliance with his or her, her expectations. Isn't that all older white men? Yeah, older, yeah. <laughs> the, uh, actually, let me just ask, point out, because there's been a couple I've thought this. Yeah. What if you think a lot of these, but you kind of keep it to yourself? Like, doesn't <laughs> doesn't everybody... Do you get credit for not like... But doesn't everybody kind of think like this? No, I don't. Like, you don't crave admiration. I mean, sure, and I you would don't like... think you're special, right? But I don't everybody... think I'm special, no. But remember, there's a, different be- there's a difference between admiration and wanting to be loved. Everybody wants to be loved. You want to be loved, David? <laughs> Well, yeah, I'd like to be admired too. 
<laughs> well, and a couple of things she said, I'm like, well, I think everybody thinks like that no. inside. I think that's what narcissists think, though. That everybody thinks that way. So actually, actually, Jen, you are on to something there. Because a narcissist will project onto the world their personal experience. I mean, we all do it to some extent, but because of the narcissist's lack of empathy, they don't really understand that they're doing it. Lack of empathy, that is definitely, David. Is that one of the oh, signs? We're, yeah, we're sure, getting sure there. We're getting there. Oh, just, yeah, I'm sure that's going to come up. <laughs> just hold on. But, well, and David, you ask a good question, right? Doesn't everybody love admiration? Well, you know, some people will actually shy away from admiration. Mm, so it really depends on the person and the, is the that type healthy, of healthy, though? And the type of admiration. Yeah, you can't even imagine a world where someone would shy away from it. No, I can definitely. But, but my question is, I'll ask the three of you. Yeah. I should say the three of you. I keep pointing at the computer, not the camera. If you had somebody come in and they say, oh, I, the last thing I want is admiration. Wouldn't that kind of be a flag? Well, of maybe not of being a narcissist, but. Good point. I mean, it's it's kind of the rule of everything in moderation, right? It's nice to land when we talk about spectrums and, you know, that type of thing. Falling right in the middle generally is the more healthy place to be, right? If you're going to drink alcohol, you know, it's. Probably better to be in the middle, really not on the extreme end. And and actually either extreme end, because believe it or not, I may be the only person in history, and this might be a podcast in and of itself, the oh, only goody. person in history who had to go who went to therapy to be able to drink rather than to stop drinking. Right? Because oh, I, I could have done that therapy. <laughs> just go camping and <laughs> you think you could have made him drink without oh, yeah, therapy. Could, oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, people tried, people tried, but that that was the extreme on the other end. Anyway, I don't want to get too far into it right no, now. No, I think that's but interesting. Also, that's what we do is we <laughs> so, we just ramble. So, do you go to the therapist and you say, "Hey, like I'd like to drink more," and then what do they do? Like, well, how do they how do they how do they help you? With that? Yeah, is there is there a therapist out there that's like, "Come on." <laughs> Do they provide alcohol in the session? You went to like, the bully from it. high school to push you into doing things you didn't want to do. <laughs> Well, yeah, believe it or not, no, I didn't go to drink. Like, it, it wasn't that big of a need in my life to have to drink, right? So, but no, so it was actually trauma-based, right? Uh, there was a loss that in my life that revolved around alcohol, right? So at a very young age, so it, it kind of built in this deep trauma into me. And so I was doing trauma work, and it actually released me uh, from having that anxiety or trauma attached to alcohol. Right, just oh, loosened off the, the association. But anyway, yeah. I was also going to say, like, rewind back to somebody who says they don't want excessive admiration. What came up for me is there's also too many different types of narcissists, and a covert narcissist tends to take on more of a victim role, and they could possibly say something like that. Oh. That's a good point, Jackie. Yeah. Well, it's kind of like the fishing for compliments. No, no, don't adore me, you know, but yeah. they really yeah. want them to adore you. you yeah. know? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's the thing, right? Like Jackie's saying here, it's, you know, initially they may say, oh, you know, don't, don't give me that. I'm, I'm not into that and that type of thing. But then over time, it generally flips around, right? And it's a very kind of subtle underlying thing. And then they start demanding it at this other level. So the, the covert narcissist tends to be a lot more tricky than the overt narcissist. Interesting. Cool. Well, I wonder, David's definitely overt. So. I wonder how many people are going to hear this podcast <laughs> and just become better narcissists. <laughs> Maybe. You may need to be a little more co covert instead of this. Yeah, that's what they're like. That's what I got to do. I got to start saying, you know, I don't, I'm yeah. not here for Pretend the admiration. Pretend I don't want it. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I know I'm great, but. Yeah. And then the, the, the sixth time I meet with them, I'll be like, look, I better start seeing some admiration out of you. Or, 
All right. Anyway, this is what we do. We apologize, yeah, Kim. Uh, it's all good. No, it's all fine. Do you want? So sure, we're on trait number six. Yeah. Then we're, how many so did we're, David have? Four of them already? Oh, I barely have any. <laughs> no, 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 no. Okay. Number six is interper- they're interpersonally exploitative. So they take advantage of others to achieve his or her own ends. Do you do that, David? No. You know what? I'm going to say something here. Brad, maybe pencil this in because I'll <laughs> come to see you in a week or so. Yeah. I'm starting to think my mom was a narcissist. Huh. Yeah. My that mom. tracks. What's that? that yeah. Tracks. My mom was a horrible person. Yeah. <laughs> that opens up a lot there. Horrible person. <laughs> and the more I hear, I'm like, huh. huh. Maybe mm. it, the apple doesn't far too, fall hmm. too far from no, I don't, the tree. I don't, I, I don't think I am. Well, we haven't decided yet. We're only anyway. six. Yeah. We're <laughs> six. <laughs> We do do coaching. Okay. This is all interesting. If you want to dig in, David. <laughs> yeah. My mom's definitely at three, at least. I think you are at three, at least, though. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's keep going. Okay. Kate, do you want to guess what number seven is? Empathy. Empathy. I'm going to jump in on that really, really quick. Now, uh, th- this is one that I have, uh, I really struggle with because uh, the lack of empathy basically gives this impression that they, you know, they aren't aware of what other people's experiences are. The reality is they can be very aware of what other people's experiences are, and that's why they can exploit and manipulate as well aware, as they do. Yeah. Aware, and they just don't really care. Right. That's the thing. That's exactly yeah. it. They don't that's David. care. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I do have a lack of empathy. And yeah. it's funny because today I had to terminate somebody. And the person I was terminating them with wasn't Jen, by the way. She squelched out of it. But, oh, I, I got a meeting. meeting. <laughs> but uh, um, the person I did it with, you could see he was like, and we even talked about it yesterday. And you could see he was like almost ill having to let this person go. And uh, 20 seconds. Yeah. And then he was gone. And then I. And you were I, joking about it a second later. Yeah, I was joking about it a second later. So I'm, I, but I'm, we even talked about it with, with, uh, um, actually, oddly enough, in our last, pod- last podcast, but we threw it in the garbage, uh, the part where we talked about it. Mm. And I was talking about it with one of my directors and stuff like that today, how like I, I'm keenly aware of what somebody yeah. goes through when we fire them. I just... You don't care. Oh, it's not that I don't... I well, mean, yeah, I do, yeah, it's not that... Just, I, when I say it's not that I don't care, I mean, I don't care. <laughs> but it also doesn't affect me. Yeah. Like, and I think part of this is because it's... I don't know. I don't know why it is, right? But I don't question it. And I have no desire to fix it. Because when we do get into a situation where I have to make a difficult decision, I have to let somebody go, I'm happy with it mm-hmm. being No easy. sweat off your back. Yeah, yeah. easy, yeah. So okay, here, I'm, I'm going to do a quick clarification question. Uh, a little bit of an assessment here. Are you, are you game? Are you game? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So let's imagine you have an, an amazing employee. You love this employee, but for whatever we'll reason, call him. Okay, we'll call we'll call him. And for whatever reason, there's budget cutbacks or whatever. And uh, and unfortunately, the, this great person that you appreciate, right, being a part of your team, you have to let go. How does that feel? Okay, I have two answers to this question. Because, okay. because, and we, we can, Jen, Jen and I can reach back into our, and well, we talked, we talked to one last there. podcast. Yeah. So there's two answers to that. And I hate to run around it, but I'm going to interpret your question two ways. One, we had a guy and I'm going to have to beep out the part where I said, let's call him blah, blah, blah. Cause I remembered <laughs> his name. We talked about him in the last podcast, the HR podcast. Uh, and he made a mistake and he was like one of our oh, favorite yes. employees. And we really liked this guy. Yeah. He was like the face of the hotel. He, he was the epitome of the brand and he made a mistake. But the mistake got him fired. It made him basically he bent he made a mistake, but he benefited from it in terms of cash. He was a which reflected his theft, automatic termination. He was gone. And it was not difficult for us. No. Like it wasn't because it was cut and dried and I guess 
we were sad to lose but no, I didn't feel, I knew what my job was and knew I had to do it. Now, a so little over a year ago, name. Yeah. <laughs> a little over a year ago, take your question and make it 85 to 90% of the hotel, Yeah. right? Where we had to lay off almost everybody. Yeah, there was a point where that started to get to me. Sure. But it was also because it was, it wasn't like, usually when I terminate somebody or, or have a difficult conversation with somebody, it's quick mm-hmm. and it's over. This just kept going on and yeah. on and it wore at you. So right? it took 85 people for you to start. Yeah. So, something. so there is an extent where <laughs> you, it does start to stick to you when you go home. Yeah. But no, generally speaking, I, I don't have any. I can't believe you think his name is. <laughs> I thought it was. What is it then? <laughs> oh shit. Yeah. She's right. <laughs> Okay, yeah. So I guess no, I So if David feels something at number eighty five, does that mean he's not or he has empathy? Yeah. The answer would be no, I don't feel anything. Yeah, no, you don't. That was a long way to say no. (laughs) (laughs) You're trying to justify yourself, you know. Well, but I don't want to hear eighty, you know, eighty five percent of the staff that we let go a year ago hear that him hear them say like, Oh that fucker. Right. (laughs) So so what's the what's the what does that mean? Well, I mean the very fact that it was wearing on you actually says something. So you know, we can't say that you're free and clear from this lack of empathy thing. <laughs> there there, there was yeah. something that was wearing you down. Yeah. So, it's interesting because, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. No, that's. I, I think it's interesting because like, and I have, because I work in hospitality, I guess. And High turnover. For whatever reason. Oh, no. For whatever reason, we frequently do tests when you're training and developing, mm-hmm. do yeah. empathy tests. And I always score really low. And every partner I've ever had and everybody who's ever been close to me eventually comes to the realization that I'm really low in empathy. And I don't brag about it. I don't I don't think it's a good thing. I mean, you don't think it's a bad but it's, thing. Well, it's just the way I am, right? You gotta be happy you gotta be comfortable with it. I know, but are. there's times where I'm like, Oh, this is really tough. I'm like, oh, I have no empathy. It doesn't yeah, really but, matter. But but at the same time, if you you know what I mean, if you could avoid something that was painful, wouldn't you be glad to avoid something that was painful? I don't know. I don't know. I don't think I would say yes. But, but what's interesting is a lot of times when we talk to people or I talk to people, I said, oh, yeah, I really lack empathy. The natural mm-hmm. response to them is like, oh, no, you don't. No, but you do. Yeah. yeah Just give I, them my phone number. I'll verify Okay. It. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Number eight. So, I, but on that note, you can grow empathy. You yeah. can grow empathy. Well, you know what? Then well, here's the funny can, thing. You can increase your capacity for empathy. How? Here, let me tell you, Jen. <laughs> There's this thing called the learn model. It's listen, empathize, apologize, respond, and notify. And anybody who works for Marriott knows that. Uh-huh. So, and when it gets to empathy, and, and you know, going back to my earliest company you I just worked with, fake it till you make it. They would teach us empathy, and they would see here's empathetic statements you can make, and here's but how does that make you, you say. feel it? Just because you can say it doesn't mean you're no, going to feel no, it. No, I, I, I am fundamentally. Okay, I, I we, look at people who can we let the expert say how she would grow your empathy? Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Oh, it's a super simple answer. Um, you, you, you dig in, you figure out some emotional awareness and uh, grow your emotional intelligence that way. And then you learn how to apply empathy. <laughs> but, but what if I so don't want it, to? So is it fake well, until you make okay. it? You can, you can choose that. Well, I, you can practice that if it helps to lay some foundations mm-hmm. of what to work with. But I do agree. Like you're, you can't just sort of say those things. I understand how frustrating it can be to have a partner who doesn't show empathy, Jen. Talking or? No, I was giving the example of one of the oh. statements. <laughs> yeah, so the, so the person you're interacting with won't necessarily feel that you're being empathetic. So right. that sort of connection won't, won't land, and you're just sort of repeating statements. Mm-hmm. But you can. I mean, you can do interpersonal work and start to sort of link together your own emotional awareness than what you're seeing in others. And as you get more and more accurate with that, 
then uh, you can't grow your capacity to have an empathetic experience. I think I you learned that on the fourth session of therapy that you didn't go to. Yeah, maybe. maybe. That's the one I no-showed. <laughs> okay. You want trait number eight? Yes. yes. All right. Uh, they are often envious of others or believes that others are envious of them. How does that resonate with you, David? Okay. I don't think anybody's envious of me. Well. But aren't we all... <laughs> Like I mean, I would say I think envy is a very common thing, but I think if you become self-aware, no, I think envy becomes something that isn't a predominant factor. Okay, well, this is another good question. I'll ask: is is envy an inherently bad thing? I thought it was just a thing. <laughs> Actually, and I would agree with you. Envy is just a thing. I mean, envy can be used as an incredible tool of self-awareness. I, I use envy all the time within my therapy to help people define what it is they actually want in their life, right? If you ask yeah. somebody, what are you envious of or who are you envious of? It reveals a lot about their underlying desires and wishes, mm -hmm. right? So again, this it comes down to moderation. But this, re remember, everything with narcissism is in excess, right? It's pervasive and it's in excess. Oh, so, yeah, yeah. So it's like the, the envy is ridiculous. Like they will literally hate somebody, right? If they see them on social media doing a trip to some place that they want to go and they've never been, they will literally like feel deep resentment and hate for that person, right? That's so this is like extreme yeah, envy. Now, the, the other thing that Kim mentioned too is it's that double-edged sword where when they're envying others, they also, of course, think people are envying them. So David's got nothing to envy. I don't, yeah, envy. I don't think anybody <laughs> I don't envy, envy anything. <laughs> not, not with Jen sitting beside me. <laughs> I envy your bonus when you get it. <laughs> yeah. In an industry that used to have bonuses. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay. All right. Number nine. Number nine. They show arrogant, haughty behaviors and attitudes. Oh, yeah. Check. Oh, I do not. Oh, my God. You're so fucking arrogant and haughty. You don't even know what haughty means. It describes you. I know that. Really? <laughs> You're so fucking arrogant. And then when people don't listen to you, you get angry, you get larger, you get like... Oh, this is... I feel more uh, like put on on this this episode than, than uh, <laughs> the psychopath, psychopath one. <laughs> That's because this one more closely relates to who you are from what we're gathering Yeah, there. maybe. All right. Well, I don't think I'm haughty, but... You think you're arrogant though, yeah? I think I'm humble. <laughs> you do not. <laughs> We talked all that long about it, where you're basically like, my arrogance is preventing me from moving forward in oh, some things. Oh, yeah, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I guess. I, I can see in some ways. Yeah. All right. So the, so we've got these nine things. I guess, what are the most common ones? That's that's a good question. Now, let me just kind of throw out a little bit more of a visual here. I want you to imagine three intersecting circles, like a Venn diagram. Right, like kind of a triangle with one circle up top and then there's two at the bottom and they're all intersecting with each other, which actually makes a, a little kind of triangle shape right in the middle. We're so, in business. We know what a Venn diagram is. Perfect. Oh, right, but the listeners, the listeners. <laughs> forgot <Perfect>. about them. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, Who's well, arrogant they, now, Jen? They, they, can, they can pause the show and look it up on Google, right? Like, Google Venn, yeah. yeah. Actually, we have this thing called Polly. Hey, Polly, can you explain a Venn diagram? Hi everyone, it's me, Polly, the loose and conversational podcast moderator. A Venn diagram shows all possible logical relations between a finite collection of different and distinct elements, or sets. Venn diagrams normally comprise overlapping circles. 
The interior of the circle symbolically represents the elements of the set, while the exterior represents elements that are not members of the set. Brad explained it better, but it was nice to Thank talk you. to you all. Yeah. Who did it better, Brad or Polly? Yeah. Well, Brad did it way better. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, anyway, sorry, Brad. We apologize. It's, it's all good. We're at so, the 40-minute mark. This is the part where things start going sideways. We've had a couple doubles, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, this is the one we originally asked for patience. This is where we need you to start being patient. It sucks to be the only sober. Jackie, hopefully you've been keeping yeah. up. Brad, growing up, were you always the sober person in a room full of drunk people? Yes. So How terrible. Well, you know, the joy of that is you get to act like an idiot on, you know, on your own volition. It's like all these. But then you have nothing to blame it well, on. Yeah, but nobody cares anyways. What are you blaming it on? You know? All right, back to the Venn diagram. So, yeah, back to the Venn diagram. Anyway, so there's this kind of middle section where, right, they all intersect in that middle section. And really uh, what we would put in there is like fragile esteem, fragile self-esteem. So everything in the circles around it, so basically each one of those circles, one of them is like attitude, belief, and behaviors, Right. And then you can put these uh, nine criteria in each one of those circles. So kind of break them apart. So, for instance, within the behavioral one, you would have like the, the arrogant behaviors. You'd have the exploitation, that type of thing. You know, within the belief thing, they believe in fantasy or like you're both saying, they believe they're the center of the universe. Right. And everybody should treat them as such. So you see how all of these things are are kind of fitting together and they're all protective around that sense of self-esteem. So you can actually think of narcissism uh, as a little bit of a strategy to protect that very uh, delicate, undeveloped part of a person. So do you think they have low self-esteem? Like they literally have zero esteem. Their, Their esteem is all externally based. You're making me feel things for these people, Brad. I I know because <laughs> because in a way in a in a in a way, right? You you have to see the delicate nature. At at some point, they were deeply wounded, and this is their way of actually dealing with it. Yeah, right? this is their way of of remaining, giving themselves a, a sense of safety within the world. Unfortunately, it costs them for their entire life. It's just like yeah. any coping mechanism. It's unsustainable. So if you're in a relationship with a narcissist, what's your advice as their therapist? Yeah, that, that was going to be my question is how do you, I guess, how do you cope with a narcissist in your life? Well, I was going to say, like, I, I know somebody who's in a relationship with what I would classify as a narcissist. He's not diagnosed. And I think that there's this, you know, there's this empathy towards the wounded person for sure. And there's this belief that, you know, eventually enough love and nurture from her will fix it. And then there's this sort of two out of 10 times where, you know, the, the, uh, the priorities align. And so there's sort of this validation of, oh, well, that time he put me first, right? And so, but I mean, you know, you're the experts. What do you tell this person? <laughs> well, yeah, narcissists, number one, narcissists don't want to be loved. I mean, deep down, they want to be loved. But through their coping mechanism, they don't want to be loved. They want to be worshipped. Ah, oh. that connects. Yeah. 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 So, so, so you just tell, you just tell them to worship them and everything will be fine. <laughs> well, the, the, Bow the, down. Yeah. <laughs> well, that, that's the, that's the reason why the relationship worked in the first place. And unless, right. and this yeah. is why relationships are unsustainable for, so as, as an individual, um, 
that comes from this type of relationship myself. It, it is. It's just unsustainable. I mean, as the person on the other end, it's your virtues and character characteristics that carry the relationship forward. Mm -hmm. But you can only carry it for so long before... I mean, we talk about it often on our podcast, too, before your body says, I can't do this anymore. Yeah. Right? Okay, that's interesting. That's interesting. I'm going to interrupt really quickly, and then I'm going to get you guys to t talk about this. I like that you're announcing your interruptions instead of just doing them. Yeah, well, give me one more drink. Then I'll, be like, <laughs> I'll just start talking in the middle of everybody. When we had Jan Canty on talking about psychopaths, and if you only listen to one of our podcasts, that's, that's, that's a good one. Oh, because yeah, because of what I'm about to say. Okay. So she's a clinical... Was she a clinical psychologist? Forensic psychologist? Yeah. No, she was a... I think yeah, she's I a clinical remember. psychologist. I listened to that one myself. She did a yeah. phenomenal so, job. Phenomenal. Oh, job. yeah. Excellent. Because also you can no, read no. her book. You mean we also did a phenomenal job, No, right, she did a phenomenal job. <laughs> you, you all the, uh, did a phenomenal job. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah you're amazing, Jen. There, there's, your, there's your admiration. Yeah. There's yeah. your admiration. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm the narcissist here, right? Yeah. So, Jan, aside from you know, studying, she really has field knowledge, if you will, yeah. because her husband was killed and beheaded and this whole crazy thing yeah. uh, by a guy in Detroit in the early 80s. And so she has this really almost, I don't want to say crazy, because that's not the right word. She has this amazing perspective mm -hmm. uh, as a, on the clinical side. And then as, you know, I had to go through this this thing. So I know, Brad, I don't know how much you guys want to talk about it, but, but you've had a relationship with a mm. narcissist and have the rest of you and does that really give you a different insight because you've 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 sort of studied what it means to be a narcissist, but you've also been on the other side? Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I so, yeah. absolutely. Everybody's yes. All of us have had experiences in our lives um, with narcissists. So like with an intimate with, partner or parent or something along those lines. Yeah, mine's a f as well. So I had a. I would say, but also probably other issues there. How I have adapted to work with people like that, why it is that I was the target versus others, right? So there's, so narcissists will look for um, people with people with a high degree of empathy, people who see the best in them, who know what sort of under underneath or who hope for what they perceive to be underneath the narcissism. Yeah. So yeah, we've all had experiences in different ways with narcissists. Um, and we've, I, I mean, Jackie and I also have um, friends in our lives who are dealing with a narcissist. And so that's actually what sparked the uh, part of what sparked the inspiration for that was our own personal experiences. Um, and then so inviting Brad in to support all of these conversations in this podcast and knowing that we all have this sort of aligned uh, experience. Mm -hmm. So if you know somebody who's in a relationship yeah, with a narcissist, yeah, carry on. Yeah. Oh, if. Well, like what to do if somebody is in a relationship with narcissists? Well, yeah. Uh, Kim, if you want to kind of keep going with that, because I have a little bit of a, a different direction here. So boundaries, people really learning about boundaries is going to help and support. And also recognizing what it is you're actually working with. You really need to understand the person that you're in that relationship with, whether it's a work relationship, an intimate relationship, family, uh, whatever that looks like. So it, it's important to really have a clear understanding of what it is you're working with, because that will really open you up to uh, feeling a little less crazy 
in your interactions mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, taking less responsibility because the empath who that's who's typically on the other side of the narcissistic relationship, uh, the empath really will tend to work to extremes to create harmony and unity in the relationship. And that's partly why they tend to lose themselves. It tends to, um, it can support getting the relationship getting really unbalanced. So learning about boundaries, what that means for you, how to set that up. We would never recommend that you tell your person that you're interacting with that, hey, I think you might be a narcissist. <laughs> that's, and why wouldn't uh, you? That's, that's not going to go over well. <laughs> Defensive, I imagine. It can really level up the uh abusive tendencies. Gotcha. And so when you're with a narcissist, I assume, and correct me if I'm wrong, but gaslighting is probably a pretty standard fare, sort of the emotional abuse. Like, are are these all pretty standard in an intimate relationship or or otherwise with a narcissist? Absolutely, they are. Yeah. And the gaslighting is such an interesting one, right? People hear that term all the time as well. Yeah, I was going to jump on that because that was another, that's like another pop side word that you hear all the time. Even the chicks have a gaslighter song, which I sing along to. Do they? Yeah, like... Because, because from what, because what I understand gaslighting to be, it seems pretty specific. Well, it's intentional, right? From what I understand. Well, I don't think it is because I get accused of it all the time, and I barely understand what it is. <laughs> Maybe you're not gaslighting. Sorry, what is? So yeah, continue on to that train of thought. So who wants to define gaslighting for Give them, it to Brad? Oh, okay. Yeah, sure. So, ba- so basically, gaslighting. I don't know if you know what the origins of it are, but it's an old film where uh, basically this guy makes this woman question her reality. So um, ultimately, that is what the gaslighting process is all about. Is if somebody comes, you know, approaches a narcissist and presents reality a certain way or recalls something a certain way, even if that person is 100% accurate, the narcissist is going to spin that into, you know, that person feeling like they're crazy or like they're going crazy. And if I can add to that, Brad, when mm-hmm. when people have been experiencing being gaslit uh, often and over time, they, they will actually learn how to do it to and for themselves. So the narcissist actually doesn't even have to uh, do it anymore because the empath will just it's an start internal the process dialogue. themselves. Yeah. Yep. Huh. Yep. And this is where it can get really just so invasive and so messy and um, where you really need to understand what's happening so you can pull those threads apart. Mm-hmm. So Brad, you sounded like you had a counterpoint yeah. to Kim. Oh, well, not not really a counterpoint, but uh, just kind of a continuation of what it is. But I'll, I'll say this first. the We did an episode on you can't uh, reason with the unreasonable. And ultimately, that's what you run into with gaslighting, because you're trying to present to them reality, but they aren't interested in reality whatsoever. And so the, you're, you're trying to sell something to somebody that just in, isn't interested in buying it. So you think that if you just bring enough logic, and l- let's say a, a conversation was even recorded or something, or you have an email that spells it out right in front of them, they will literally say, oh, you're, you're misreading that. You're crazy. You're, you're, yeah, that, that's yeah. exactly it. Right now, now let me, what, what I was going to say, you know, Sorry, in Brad, terms of. Before you get yeah. into that, just let me ask you one quick question about gaslighting before, in case sure. we don't go back to it. If you're arguing with your partner <laughs> and you like, realize. Am I a gaslighter? <laughs> yeah, I'm starting to think maybe I do do this. And, and you realize, uh, I'm not going to win this argument. <laughs> yes, I'm going to go with the so, ass before you even finish. So rather than just give in. I'm just going to see how long I can go before I lose. Just going to push some buttons, get yeah. a reaction. Yeah, and sometimes I'll end up winning. 
Yeah. So that's probably are gaslighting. Are you really isn't winning, it? or are you just? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Into submission. I don't know. I just like arguing. <laughs> but that's well, is that gaslighting? If you just don't well, let an argument go, and you're like, no, no, no. Even if you know you're wrong, you'll still carry. Yeah, on. arguing yeah. even if you know you're wrong. Well, it, in a way, it's like <laughs> gaslighting. It's definitely e- exploiting the circumstance and the situation, huh. right? Yeah, and then of course, the Either whole way, I idea shouldn't do it. Well, yeah, I, I would tend to agree with you one hundred percent on that because <laughs> if, if 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 win and lose comes into the language of your conversation, all of, or of your relationship, all of a sudden it's like, well, okay, what is actually happening there? But I'm not going to dive into that. I, I wouldn't um, say win or lose. I'd say right or wrong. You need to book an appointment with him to get that. <laughs> <out>. <laughs> That's not what this is. <laughs> so. But yeah, <laughs> you have a problem, David. Anyways, Brad, what were you saying? <laughs> so, well, I, I was just going to respond further to your question around, okay, if you have a narcissist in your life, what are you supposed to do? I, I just want to, number one, help people understand that you most likely won't know you're in a relationship with a narcissist until things start <laughs> to get crazy, right? Until, until you're you think, in love and you're suckered in and you want to do whatever it can. Absolutely. That's what we call the idealization stage or, or more commonly known as love bombing stage. They will totally love bomb you. They'll put you up on a pedestal. If anybody puts you up on a pedestal, run as fast and as far as you can, right? Because they're they're setting you up to to knock you off, especially within this narcissistic space. Now, I will say this. I am a professional, right, in the realm of psychology, and I was still duped. Like, this is how good they are. They literally use your virtues, your characteristics, your convictions, all of that type of stuff against you. They'll figure out what those are. And they'll use all of the language to match that. So you feel like you met your perfect soulmate, right? And they'll even use the term soulmate and you'll be duped into it. And then all of a sudden, it's like a few months down the road, all of a sudden something flips and it's like, you can't even track to what just happened in that moment, but you just kind of look Mm -hmm. at it as a one-off because they built up so much into this relational bank account, so to speak. They've created such, so as we talk about in the podcast, right, they live in delusion, right, in this fantasy world of what the way they think the world should be and the way people should treat them. But when we get sucked in, we live in illusion. We buy their illusion, um, but then that illusion is impossible to sustain. But because the illusion is so great, when we get anything contradictory to it, we're like, oh, it just seems like a one-off initially. But then the Mm -hmm. ratios start to shift, right? Where all of a sudden, those one-offs start becoming more, um, you know, prevalent Mm -hmm. and pervasive until that's the majority of the relationship, but you're already hooked in. Right. Wow. And so for you, how long did it take you to A, realize it, and then B, you know, extract yourself from that situation? Well, like I'm saying, as a professional in the field, I mean, you're always on guard with it Mm -hmm. when somebody kind of steps into your office. Uh, On on the personal end of things, if if they figure out your personal virtues and, and values, I mean, yeah, they can, they can trick you in that way. So in my personal experience, I could have remained, you know, within the illusion, I would say I was within the illusion for about 
two to three years. Wow. Wow. Right now, there is a lot of evidence to the contrary. But as Kim was saying, I tend to see the best in people, right? So Mm -hmm. what I learned through that experience is you don't see the best in people, you see the truth in people, right? Yeah, like my one friend, it's like, you know, at the end of the day, the person that she's in this relationship with, I don't really blame them. I think they've been honest about who they are from the get go. I think, you know, they just don't want to hear it, or they don't want to accept it. They just want to sort of change it to some extent, right? So Hmm. I think you, they show you who they are, you just choose whether to believe it or not. Yeah. And then it's different too, like what Brad was saying about when you're in a relationship and you start mm-hmm. a new relationship as a friendship versus a romantic relationship. Yeah. And then it's even different when it's a family member. For so sure. when you're born into that and you're raised with somebody who is that way, it takes a very long time to figure it out. For sure. And when I think there's a perception that family isn't doesn't go anywhere, right? Like I think with an mm-hmm. intimate partner, you can maybe say, okay, I can break up with them. Or you know, with a friend, you can cancel that. But with a family, there's sort of this idea that they're always going to be there whether that's obviously true or not you know but it just sort of feels like it's a permanent a permanent thing yeah and they're family you're supposed to you know mend things with your family and like your family and do all these crazy things for them because they're family and (laughs) and accept bad behavior yeah because they're family to touch on was quickly was boundaries. I think that's a really, you know, I don't want to say a trendy word. Everybody's like, oh, I'm setting boundaries, right? And I I think somebody said this to me and it was sort of an aha moment to me. So I'm curious what your thoughts are. But a boundary is only a boundary if you're willing to enforce it, right? So you can say, you know, my boundary is, you know, if he does this one more time, that's my boundary. But it's like, it's only a boundary if you are prepared to follow through and enforce it. (laughs) You know, and I think people use the term all the time. Well, that's my boundary. But it's like, if you keep allowing the behavior, then it's really not your boundary, right? It's really- Are you teaching them, Jen? Or are you asking? No, I'm asking like, because for me, that was the aha <laughs> moment. So I'm curious, would you resonate with that? Absolutely. Yeah, I would agree with that too. Yeah, I, I think people really need to take a minute to consider what boundaries really look like for them in particular relationships. And you may have some boundaries that cross over all your relationships, and you may have one or two that apply just to specific relationships. Um, but yeah, it they typically, I mean, the way we talk about it is... Um, or the way I talk about it is that boundaries are typically not that flexible, right? A true boundary, like you're saying. So if I have a boundary that I won't be hit in my relationship, then if that were to happen, I pack my bags, I go. That's not, I'm not negotiating that one personally for me. You can't, there are people who, okay, let's throw another one out there. Somebody who maybe decides they don't want to have sex before they're married and they're in a longer term relationship and they're maybe considering like, okay, well, you know, maybe I don't really want to get married. Right. And so then they start to sort of reconsider and they take time and they think about it. And then they've, they've decided to possibly shift that boundary. That's reasonable. It's just that it's what I'm referring to as about not being too flexible is they don't necessarily change in the moment. And you're prepared to act. And you're prepared to act. And so, you know, if a boundary, if you have a boundary and you're, it's being challenged and you are maybe considering whether you need to analyze that boundary, then take however much time that is, analyze the boundary and decide if that still needs to stick or if that needs to adapt. I'll just say it absolutely sucks when somebody that you love to the core of you crosses one of your boundaries and you have to uphold your boundary. It totally sucks, but it's the best thing that you can do. It's absolutely heart shattering. 
Yeah, I would say boundaries have consequences. And a consequence isn't necessarily good or bad, but there will be something that happens as a result of upholding a boundary. I was going to ask, how common are narcissists? So since we all seem to know like half the people we know and everybody (laughs) that we argue with is a narcissist, and we've talked a lot about narcissists in relationships, narcissists in families. The only person I would honestly say is a narcissist is somebody that I worked with. Hmm. So two questions, I guess. One, how common in society is narcissists? And if you're a narcissist, are you a narcissist to everybody around you? Or do you pick like... (laughs) certain people that you you, you perform for you yeah that you, that you look for validation from or, or whatever you're trying to do right or are you just like narcissistic to absolutely every human being on the planet well some people are a better feed to a narcissist than others you may yeah. get an adapted version yeah. of their level of narcissism depending on who they're interacting with but they're not narcissistic or not narcissistic it's just sort of a different level of or what they're willing to expose to that person Okay. So the, the person I used to work with, I mean, he had, he had a wife and two daughters and he seemed to have a good family. So is it possible that he expressed it at work and not at home or was his wife just very forgiving? (laughs) Oh, (laughs) I'm pretty sure he did it at home. Well, we, we talk about this scale. It's the, um, doormat, badass, asshole scale. So on one end, you have the doormat on the other end, you have the asshole. Generally a narcissist is an asshole which requires a doormat. So for there to be a sustainable relationship, there has to be a narcissist and there has to be a doormat. As soon, like when we're talking about boundaries and upholding boundaries, that's being a badass, right? It's not, so an asshole is demanding and entitled and all that type of stuff. A doormat is over accommodating and a badass is, you know, a healthy person that holds healthy boundaries and says, yes, I will put up with this and no, I will not put up with this. So is it possible that he was an asshole? Because trust me, I like the guy. (laughs) I look up to him. He's an an asshole. asshole, Yeah, Yeah, he's an asshole. (laughs) And is it possible that when he came to work, he surrounded himself with doormats, but then he went home to a badass? No. No. Mm -hmm. Impossible. (laughs) He would have had to go home to a a doormat. doormat. Somebody who is high on what we call the agreeableness scale. Yeah. Huh. Then I don't know. Maybe he's not a narcissist, though. No, maybe he is. And you just have a perception of his happy home life. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. I don't know anything about his home life, right? I know know what he told me. Yeah, exactly. Remember Remember narcissists? I'm sure he's not like, my wife thinks I'm a fucking asshole. He's probably like, oh, my wife adores me. Totally. No, actually, I think he did. I think he often said his wife thought he was an asshole, okay. but uh, in a joking sort of way, right? Like we all do. Well, so then then she put up with it to some degree. But I mean, narcissists typically have their public self, their private self, and their secret self. Uh, the public Let's self talk about has- that a little bit because that's it. Anytime you say the word secret, secret self, self, yeah. <laughs> Well, well, let's go back to a second. Can Brad, can you just comment on how many narcissists are in society? That was a question we didn't Well, answer. there's different research that says different things. What we do know is that the prevalence is, is going up. Uh, when it comes to narcissism, generally uh, males tend to be diagnosed with it more than females. Females tend to be diagnosed more with what's called histrionic Uh, personality disorder or borderline personality disorder because oftentimes the the same type of grandiosity like attempted alpha isn't uh, present. I'd have to look at the numbers. I'm probably going to get the numbers wrong here because they seem to be changing constantly. But I can say one, it's actually of like out of 100 people, I think it's between like five to 10 people. I think it's between five to 
ten percent. Oh, that's that's, that's relatively common. I was say not based on TV shows I watch, and <laughs> it's like one and two. <laughs> well, and and the thing is, like I'm talking about, the pervasiveness of it is actually increasing. And then, of course, if you look at it according to gender, it's different according to gender. So it's kind of like a, a rough generalization. The other um, piece of it to consider is the traits of narcissism are becoming more pervasive. So even if people can't be diagnosed with narcissism, so they did research back in the 80s, and they did like a narcissism scale, gave it to students in university, and they filled it out. And it turned out that 30% of people had displayed some traits of narcissism. So they did it uh, again, I think it was around 2010 or something like that. And it was the complete opposite. It was 70% of people oh, demonstrated wow. traits of narcissism. And then, of course, the, and the reason that the numbers, why I, I throw kind of a vague number is because narcissists generally won't, you know, come to counseling. So there might be much more out there. They just aren't accounted. So I have a, a little a son who's six years old and is quite sure he's the best thing that's ever happened. So <laughs> is it does it develop that young? And if it is, is there something Actually, yeah, I can that's, do? <laughs> that's a good question. What age would narcissism develop? Yeah, because I mean, he's six. He tells me all the time he's the cutest person in the world. He's very smart. Like he's very like confident. And so is it confidence or is this something I yeah. need to nip he gas- in the bud? <laughs> he gaslights Jen. Yeah. He treats her like a doormat. Yeah. Well, well, I'll, I'll say this, and we've talked about this on our podcast yeah. too. Our personal experience is that we're the center of the universe. Like really, right? You're, you're sitting there, Jen, and David's in front of you, and David, you're sitting there, and Jen's in front of you. So it's like you are literally the center of the universe. Wherever you go, you know, everything seems to be revolving around you. And that is accurate to what your personal experience is. So That's as weird, a yeah. six-year-old, like kids, <laughs> kids are generally – right, quote unquote, narcissistic, because <laughs> uh, they haven't figured out that there's a broader world. And ultimately, yeah. this is the same thing. Like I'm talking about like the undeveloped child within the narcissist, it just carries forward throughout their lifetime. Mm-hmm. It's like they, they have no idea that there's a broader, larger reality out there that needs to be considered. So right, your you said it was your son? Yes, my son. Yeah. 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 So your son, I mean, he'll go to school and then he'll realize that, oh, you know what, when he gets to that age where he's interested in girls, you know, junior high, he'll notice that the girl he really likes is into some other guy. And then he's going to go like, oh, maybe, (laughs) you know, maybe I'm not, you know, the most beautiful person on earth. And they'll be able to take that in. Right. Whereas a narcissist would look at that and say, oh, there's something flawed with that person or you know they would explain away why the person they were really interested in wasn't interested in them or they would totally love bomb in a certain way yeah so keep a close eye on him come junior high is what you're saying (laughs) well i think we all have to deal with the when we're at school and we realize not everybody looks us at looks at us the way our moms looked at us (laughs) that's a tough time yeah yeah i guess what makes you a narcissist is we're like when you're like no my mom was right yeah you're just I all am, stupid. I am the cat's meow. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I am the best looking boy here. <laughs> yeah, secret self. Yeah, we want to hear more about that. So it's just as it as it sounds. The public self is who they put on display out in the world to, again, to get their feed. So how they want to be represented, how they want to be seen. The private self, 
is who they are at home in closed quarters with their people, which is often very different. Uh, the private self can be, say, a really horrible person at home. And then they step out onto a public stage, onto a platform somewhere, and everybody loves them. They're the most charming, but they just were screaming at their family, you know, five minutes before they left the house. The secret self is who they are in their in their um, alone time when that is them knowing and feeling all of who they are that they don't share with anybody. They keep that deeply, deeply buried. It's only for them. And does and everybody have that, or does is that a narcissistic thing? Yeah, I was just going to add to the the secret self. They often have a secret life going as well, mm -hmm. right? So right. yeah, in, in my experience, I uncovered the secret life of the secret self and confronted that. And of course, that's when er everything fell apart because the narcissist cannot stand in accountability to their actions, especially within their secret world. Oh, so when you say secret self, it's much bigger than just having like, I don't know, I don't know how to explain it, like a, a belief of yourself that people don't respond to outside. It's actually doing secret things and having all, all of the above. Yes. So it's it, it, like a lot of times a narcissist will feel like they're a really crappy person inside. If, if they haven't had their esteem hits or the, their esteem boots, the best way to con to look at a narcissist is to look at them as like an addict, right? So just as a cocaine addict needs a hit of cocaine, the, a narcissist needs a hit of esteem. And so if they don't have a hit of esteem, internally, they're feeling very, yeah, is, is there a word you'd use there, Kim? Yeah, no, yeah, they're, they're really looking for this feed, right? So they're looking for somebody to give this supply to, or this to gain the supply from. Um, is that where you were going? Yeah, so they basically need, need a hit of high affirmation, right? Um, so, so the people in their lives are, are, are like the dealer who gives you little bags <laughs> of Coke. Or the gas station. Yeah. They're the fuel. No, because he's talking about an addict, right? Oh. Like, like somebody yeah. like they're addicted to, to these shots okay. of esteem. So they go out and they need to find it. We're talking about the secret life. Mm. And uh, yeah. which is actually pretty interesting. Yeah. So often their secret life will fuel it. So they, they want to have this nice public. So I'll, I'll give you an example, right? Just, just imagine like, I don't know, a mayor of a small town and the mayor of a small town is, you know, this great guy. He's a philanthropist, you know, he's, he treats everybody well in the public space, everything like that. And then he goes home and like Kim's talking about, you know, just screams at his, uh, kids for whatever reason that's more private self or the private life self and then the secret life is you know he's he's married with kids but he's sneaking off to the big city to hook up with you know prostitutes and and stuff like that and nobody knows about these you know this secret life so to speak yeah yeah, that's interesting because, sorry, Jen just said that's just like Al Canty, which is <laughs> Jan Canty's husband. Yeah. Like that, you're you're describing him in a lot of ways. Yeah. And interestingly enough, that's what got him killed. Yeah. Because in his secret life, he started um, visiting a prostitute, basically, and it was her pimp. He got involved with the prostitute and her pimp, and it's, you can read the book, but <laughs> but that's who ended up murdering him, mm -hmm. was her pimp. Yeah. Uh, so I guess, I mean, that was obviously an extreme, but yeah, that's, that's, I, I think this idea of it, when I, you said secret life, I thought maybe like it was like a dirty little hobby or something. I mean, seeing a or, prostitute in secret is kind of a dirty little hobby. No, 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 no because that's, he's, he's saying they have a whole <laughs> secret life, Oh, right? Like, yeah. well, like well, I, that, and the, that secret life kind of varies in degrees, right? It could be they're mm -hmm. sneaking off to see a prostitute or they can have a whole separate family all together. 
right? Wow. You've, oh, you've wow. heard of this, yeah, uh, sure you, right? Where somebody is like, oh, no, I travel for work and they're gone for a week at a time. And all they're doing is switch, switching back and forth between these two different families. What do they really do for work? That's what I want to know. <laughs> <laughs> what are they really doing for work? <laughs> that, that's a good point, Jen. Yeah. I don't know if they st- it's still as common because everybody needs to work now and it's harder. Well, there's but... like social media and stuff. Yeah, and I'm yeah, sure it's yeah. harder, but. <laughs> that would be an interesting podcast, though. Yeah. I live so a double we'll... life. Yeah. <laughs> Why don't you put your, put your feelers out and see who buys <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> How did you financially do this? That's what yeah. 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 Are what? you a traveling? Are there even traveling sales? I guess there still are traveling salespeople. No, there's. Well, I guess I mean, not now. There's not travel. Well, not, not now. Not COVID. right now. There's not. Oh my yeah. god, which family do you like go home to during COVID? Like, yeah, yeah. How are you? How are you traveling during Christmas? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right? It's like yeah. which family do you choose? And you're like, oh shoot, I can't get back on a plane. You know, like you, like, like one family would have to be like a regular like Judeo Christian family, <laughs> and then the other half family have to be like Indian or something because you have different holidays. Oh. <laughs> Yeah. Like, yeah, the weird thing about George, he's never home during Diwali. Yeah, but he's always home during Christmas. Yeah, but he's always home for Christmas. So. <laughs> oh, gosh. Anyways. <laughs> but we digress. All right. Well, we are almost at time. I really wish I could remember my question because it was a good one. <laughs> was it? Yeah, I, was re- I really wanted to ask it. He thinks it's good. He's self-grandiose there. Yeah. It's the best question. Well, yeah, but this, I, yeah. Oh, yeah. Podcast. If you guys had heard this question, you really would have been amazed. <laughs> it would have changed the course of everything. Yeah, because we talked about how to deal with a narcissist. We yeah. talked about. So tell us a little bit about your podcast. By the way, how I found you, I don't know if I explained this, How? because we were talking about ever since the Psychopath podcast, we talked about doing a narcissist one. And I was looking for all these different places trying to find experts on narcissism. And it was all like, like I'm sure you've seen it. There's a few narcissist podcasts, but it's mm. all like, I don't want to name the stereotype, but people talking about the pop side version of if you've been screwed over by a mm. partner, it's a narcissist, right? Yeah. But somebody was actually asking me who, if I knew a good therapist for a, a man. And I said, actually, I do. I know a great one. So I Googled Brad <laughs> yeah. uh, to get the contact info to make sure I had it right. Boom, Neo Narcissism Podcast. Why, I guess the big question is, why did you start your podcast? Well, uh, Jackie and I actually, we were w- through Element Q, our company uh, that we share. We had both had personal experiences with narcissists and we have friends who have experiences with narcissists. And so that all kind of motivated us to try to pull this apart a little bit. So we wanted to host some workshops. And I've known Brad for quite a few years. So I reached out, I was like, I know somebody who can help us with this. And so reached out to Brad and we did a few workshops together uh, on narcissism. And that had really great turnout that seemed to be really supportive for people. And then COVID hit. Well, we were talking about possibly doing some YouTube videos on it, uh, but COVID hit and they were like, well, it's a podcast. Let's do that. <laughs> there you go. So that's how that whole came, that whole thing so started. Came since you started this, what's the most surprising thing you've learned about narcissists, if anything? I think for me, it's been um, it's been a lot about sort of piecing together uh, my own personal experience and history, and looking at my own responses to and how adaptive that was for me. So that's been my biggest sort of learning through this, which I think is so like, that's something we'll talk about later in future podcasts, as well as like the trauma that happens um, to people, how we uh, can get out of that doormat space and mm-hmm. move closer to that badass space. Because uh, we really want to empower people to move closer to that. Yeah. So yeah, that's and do you learning for me. And so learning that, do you have empathy for your narcissist or no? Like, are you just like, you're a fuck nut? <laughs> <laughs> I have, 
I have no contact with my narcissist. Okay. Yeah, and, and, all, and all three of you have to answer this. You're a fuck nut, yeah. Yeah, all three of you have yeah. to answer this because it'll yeah. be interesting yeah. to see. Like, especially as you learn the psychology, like I'm sure you're learning more than any of us would ever know. So does that create empathy or does it just create stronger boundaries, I guess? Um, you know, I, I it it did change for me perspective on other people who were also impacted by this narcissist or had their own um, experiences with other people. So it shifted how I saw and perceive others who I know who maybe also were not sort of treating people around them really well, mm-hmm. but being able to see what really was what really had happened and what was sitting underneath and what why they're responding the way they're responding. Yeah. Do you have more empathy for people who are in relationships with narcissists? Yes, I do. I yeah. just simply because it's uh, I understand the the pain of that. Mm-hmm. Like the pain w- runs really, really deep. I think particularly with people who were in or are in an intimate relationship with a narcissist, just because the the heart of the empath is so deep and clear, and they just want the very best for all parties. And um, so to witness the pain of that is uh, really difficult. Okay. I'm going to jump in because Mm -hmm. uh, one of my roles in the podcast is to say when we're getting short on time. Sure. This is, of course, when Jen starts asking good questions. So I I actually remembered my question. So before I ask it, and then we'll we'll wrap it up real quick. Well, but but the other two of you have to answer that question, the same thing. So Jackie, I don't remember. What what was the question? (laughs) What have you learned the most during this podcast? No, I thought thought it was, does knowing, does learning what you know now, how has it changed? Do you have empathy for the the narcissist narcissist in your life? Yeah. That's a hard question. I That's think a no. That's a no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's okay to say no. You must have an empath heart where you want to be like, yes, I have empathy for you, but no. <laughs> uh, there's parts I have empathy for. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think it circles back to the wounded person at the core, right? So it's like, anyways, I care. I well, it's interesting. I'm going to be thinking long and hard of this for a while because I'm starting to think my mom was a narcissist. Yeah. A lot of things we've said, I'm going to read up on this. And uh, I have no empathy for her. In maybe, fact, she might be the reason I don't have any empathy. Maybe you should go to therapy instead of just reading yeah, out. Yeah, I know. It. I know. I might. I might. Okay, Brad, over to you because you, you had a romantic partner. So yes. do you have any empathy for her? Uh, well, according to Jen's question, I say yes to both. So it's, a, it's, it's what we call cognitive dissonance, hmm. where you, you want to go up and you want to hug that person and embrace them and try to heal them, but you also want to scream in their face at the exact same time. <laughs> yeah. Right? yeah. So it's, it's this massive experience of conflicting emotions simultaneously. Mm-hmm. And so a lot, this is what a lot of people struggle with. Right. And, and this is part of what the podcast is about as well is to help people understand. Like ultimately, one thing that the podcast has confirmed for me is that you have to love your love out. When you love somebody, right? Like Kim's talking about, when you have this deep capacity for love and you're loving at that deep level, you can't just turn it off. Mm-hmm. Right. The narcissist can just do, uh, you know, a 180 and walk the other direction. Right. And they, they don't even, blink because again as as long as your worship isn't happening in the way that they want it you are now completely useless Hmm. whereas you invested into this person you invested into this relationship and you you want right you wanted it to be maintained to move uh, to move forward so as soon as they cut that cord your love just can't stop so ultimately yeah it is that thing where it's like you just have to love your love out uh even though they're they're gone and even though you have to go pretty much no contact with them. 
mm-hmm. right, to break the addiction or what we call the trauma bond. But I think it's interesting because I obviously have somebody in my life who's, you know, attracted to this narcissist. And at first it was like, you're an idiot. Like, how are you so stupid? Right. And now it's, I just have all this empathy for the person in the relationship with them. Cause it's like, you're the wounded person, you know, who's, who's in this relationship and it's hard. It's hard to watch. And it's, and I know it's hard for them to sort of navigate this. So it's funny. So I'm going to ask my last question, then yeah. we'll wrap it up. But it's funny because I, I typed it out really quickly and then I actually, I actually sent it as a message to somebody accidentally. <laughs> Uh, and they answered it. So first off, is narcissism a mental health disorder? Is it, I, I always get nervous when I ask questions like this. So if, if you're narcissistic, is that a mental health issue? Yes. So true, uh, narcissistic, yes. So true narcissistic personality disorder is a mental health issue. Uh, basically with, within the uh, cluster B area. So there's uh, cluster A, B, and C um, personality disorders. Ultimately with, with the B cluster, you have narcissism, uh, histrionic, antisocial, and borderline. So antisocial is that. Sorry, just before you, because I got to get my question. Yeah. That was actually going to be my question. Does it correlate with other mental health issues? So when you have yes. a narcissist, what other issues might they have? And I think that's what you were about to say. Yes, exactly. Well, it, it correlates with a lot of the other personality disorders with within the cluster B section mm-hmm. of things. So. Um, it's really hard to pull all of them apart. Sometimes it's called differential diagnosis. Sometimes it's difficult to differentiate between what this person has or doesn't have because you can have a psychopathic narcissist, right? Or a narcissistic sociopath or like all of those things. And this is why we talk about neo-narcissism. Neo-narcissism is narcissism to the extreme where then you're jumping into more like even mood disorders, dissociative disorders, uh, you know, like delusions and like all of that type of stuff. And all of a sudden, yeah, there's a lot of, uh, we're familiar with this term because of COVID, but, um, you know, cor- comorbidity, there's a lot of comorbidity with other mental health issues, right? Oftentimes bipolar uh, goes along with narcissism to some degree, right? So, I mean, yeah, it's, it's a pretty loaded question what you ask there, but ultimately, yes, it is a mental health issue, a legitimate one. See, that's fantastic. I thought of it like half an hour ago. <laughs> Couldn't remember what the question was, but now I ask at the very end. All right. Well, this has been fantastic. David, book your appointment. Yeah, I will. Yeah. Before we uh, before we end, plug your podcast, Neo Narcissism Podcast. What's it? Uh, how do you listen to it? You can go on to neonarcissism.tv is the website and you can watch and listen there. We are on YouTube. We are on Spotify, Podbean, everywhere you find your podcasts. Excellent. How does the YouTube thing work for you? The YouTube. (laughs) Brad can speak to that. Jen and I don't want to be on YouTube because we just don't want to be on YouTube. We've got faces for podcasts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We don't want people to know how old we are. But the uh, a big part of uh, having a podcast, there's a big question: Do you go on YouTube or not? So, Brad, how do you enjoy being on YouTube? Well, I mean, yeah, it takes a little bit of getting used to to being to be recorded, right? But yeah, we we generally just do kind of like the first snippets because um, and. Because sometimes, right, when you need to clip something for a podcast and that type of thing, it, it can tend to jump around with within video. We'll just do kind of like a little bit of a trailer video at the beginning. I don't know if you've seen those YouTube things. Do a little bit of it. So do that little trailer at the beginning. And then that's why we just do the voice for the rest of it so that we can edit according to how we want to. Yeah. Okay, perfect. Perfect. All right. So 
Uh, thank you very much for being thank on. This you. has been very, very interesting. Thanks for having us. Hopefully, uh, people, some people move from our podcast over to your podcast. And hopefully some people come seek um, some help. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully Absolutely. some people, yeah, actually, <laughs> this actually helps somebody. Because yeah. I don't think in the last one, anybody really knew any psychopaths. And you're closer to narcissists than you are to psychopaths. So I don't know if that's good news, bad news. Yeah, I don't think I really am. Well, we'll let Brad decide after right. a few more sessions. All right. We'll see you in September. So yeah. Jackie, Kim, Brad, thank you very thank much. You. And stay loose, everybody. Thanks for keeping it loose with us. Please like and subscribe to our podcast. Check out new episodes weekly and read our blog on looseandconversational.com. Finally, like and follow us on Facebook. I would love to have something from you in my inbox.